April 20th, not that that means anything to us, good, upstanding, moral, board gaming people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're listening to the Board Game Mechanics, I'm Joel, and with me is... Hey guys, it's Jason, what's going on? This is, uh, this is the home of zany banter, allegedly. The zaniest. If we don't say zany banter in our <laughs> podcast at some point, it's not one of our shows. Uh, <laughs> So, are we always this cool and collected? No, just wait till later when our interview with Jamie Stegmeier is on this episode. That's right, Jamie Stegmeier in this episode. That's right. And you'll hear me be paralyzed with fear and intimidation by his awesomeness. So, yes. I I'm going to go ahead that. and just tease that here. <laughs> He's such a cool guy. It's a great interview. Please listen to it. Yes. Um, I'm sure that if you're turning on this episode, you would never go, I really want to listen to Joel and Jason, but forget that Stegmeier guy. I'm not going to listen to that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Mike. Mike might think that. Yeah, our home, <laughs> our homeboy Mark, Mike, who's going to be on the show at some point. We're going to have to have him on here. Yeah, I agree. All right. Uh, so, Jason, um, I want to say this real quick before we get into news. People out there, people of the Riveted, listen to my plea. Come to our Facebook page and join hashtag the Riveted the group and also our Facebook page. Because we are getting so remarkably close to our 300 goal, which then lets us unlock our stretch goals of doing question and answers uh, on there via video. You know, the stretch goal nobody asked for. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, we do love it that you guys are on there making some noise. We had some new posters this week, posting some things they played. That's awesome. I need to actually send out some geek gold to some people because I told the first five that posted a picture of a game they played. We get some geek gold. I'll be reaching out to those people. And I think there might still be one slot left. So if you get over to hashtag the riveted and post what you played this last weekend, you might be able to get some geek gold. And we have a poll for our next Hall of Fame game as well. So you can check that out and make place a vote. I'm not sure that anyone's going to take it from Happy Pigs at this point, but I mean, you guys can vote for whoever you want. It's cool. <laughs> yeah. Happy Pigs is running away with it, which is kind of weird. <laughs> I think it's actually behind uh, Viticulture now, honestly. So, because I, I changed my vote, Jason. Oh, good. Uh, As you should have. Uh, we'll get into that later. <laughs> uh, but also, thank you for, for being over there. And I can't imagine a universe in which you're listening to this podcast and you aren't on that Facebook page because that Facebook page is so much more the heart of what we do. We're a podcast and we have a podcast page on Facebook, but it feels like we really honestly do more with that than, than this podcast. And there's daily updates, daily content on there. So that's awesome. Uh, and please get over there and join the community. It's an exchange of ideas. It's not just Jason and I talking to you. You can talk back and give us some thoughts. Agreed. We love feedback. Well, enough of that. All right, so let's get into the news. Um, I got like three things. I may leave some out. Who knows? Um, first one is an expansion to a game that my wife really likes called Heart of Crown. And the expansion is Heart of Crown Fairy Garden. It's essentially, I think there's another princess, some more different kinds of cards. She just make it more, more random and more opportunities to have different kinds of cards when you play. I didn't even know that was on Kickstarter. And then I looked at it today and there it was. Three days left. Hooray. I sense the sarcasm. That's enough of that. Uh, <laughs> this game's just never appealed to me. Uh, did it fund? Uh, yes. Like, probably day one, I, I would assume. I don't know. Cool. Also, the next thing is Village Pillage is back on Kickstarter. They upgraded it with some wooden turnip tokens as opposed to just cardboard chits. And they changed it from $24 shipping included to $19 plus $5 shipping. And as of this recording, it's already funded, which is pretty exciting. So go check out that game. Throw some support behind it, either a dollar or back the game. It's a really fun game that you should check out. In other news, I'm really tempted to hit the back this project button, as you are, Jason, to fund the primary. It's it's Oh, it just made it! Oh, nice. As I was recording this, the primary <laughs> made its funding. That's, That's amazing. Awesome. That is awesome. I think I'm going to back it anyway. It looks really cool. It really does, yeah. So that was an extra piece of news. The uh, the interview that you did with the uh, creator uh, that uh, a couple weeks back was a really nice interview. And you can tell that he's a guy who is just an everyday guy like you and I who had a great idea for a board game design. Right. And decided, hey, I'm just going to do it. You know, he went for it. So 
Uh, really cool. Um, so excited about that making its funding. Congratulations to Mountaintop Games. And was that Matt Quack? Yeah, Matt Quack is the designer of that, yeah. Awesome. All right. Uh, the next piece of news I just found out about before I was recording, we started recording, and this is a Red Raven Target exclusive. Crazy. Called, called Megaland. Crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. I looked into it a little bit, and it sounds like ink and gold, kind of. It's like a push-your-luck type game. But you're going to take the treasure that you get out of whatever you're going into, and you're going to buy things with it. So I looked on, on the page. It said you could buy, like, a bowling alley or something. So you're just getting the treasure, then you're buying buildings and stuff to get points. It seems really fun, and it's Red Raven and Target. That's amazing. Right. And that might mean that we'll see other things Red Raven and Target, huh? Maybe this is a gateway to sneak in like Empires of the Void 2 or, you know, something like that in the Target. That'd be awesome. Yeah, that would be awesome. I, I mean, I want to check it out because I love Push Your Luck games. It's probably one of my favorite genre of game. So I'll have to give that a go. In my heart, this game's called Megaland. And to me, that brings up visuals of like Walmart. And so in my heart, I'm hoping this game is like a... Uh, I'm hoping it's like a uh, make fun of Walmart game that they sell at Target. <laughs> I don't know. I don't yeah. think it is. But that would really be pretty funny. awesome. <laughs> uh, the artwork is really cool. So I don't remember people at Walmart ever looking Wait. like that. But whatever. A Red Raven game with good artwork. What? <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Um, and the last thing I just wanted to touch on, just because it's so ridiculous, is yes. God Tier. I think it's God Tier because the story is about tears from the gods falling down to the earth. Is 898% funded, over $379,000 raised, and because of one word, minis. Good job, Steamforge Games. You're my good boys, and I like your good company. I'm still waiting on my good ball set to get here for my good dollars <laughs> podcast, but you're my good boys, and I'm so proud of you. Good job. Very happy. <laughs> and more pandering. <laughs> so happy for the God Tier boys to make their God Tier goal. And... <laughs> And I'm so happy for their ongoing success. Congratulations to you. <laughs> All right. And moving on. All right, Jason, I think you and I both had an awesome weekend last weekend of playing games separately from each other. Yes. And I'm really interested to hear about this first game you have on the list. Go ahead. All right. So the first game I played is Rajas of the Ganges. And this game is... It's a worker placement game, but you're using dice as resources, not as actually the, the workers. So you have to go around the board, collect dice. You're going to roll them. And then based on the pips, you're going to be able to do certain things. And based on the colors, you'll be able to go to other spots. The interesting thing about this game is your money is going one way around the track and your points are going the other way around the track. And the first person who gets the two tracks to meet triggers the end of their game. And then your score is essentially how far your tokens cross. So if two people meet, it's whoever can cross their tokens the most That's cool. wins the game. Yeah, it's super cool. It starts out really slow, and then all of a sudden, like, it's just flying. Like, people are getting, like, 30 bucks a turn or, like, 10 points a turn, and the thing is just flying around the track. It's a really fun game, and I had a great time that playing it. cool. I had this one on pre-order, and then I saw that you got a copy, and not that like I can't own the same games as you, but I was like, uh, if Jason's going to own it, I'll just play his copy before I buy it. So I think I'll do that, but man, it is such a pretty game. It really is, yeah. We played it with my buddy Brandon and his wife, who we always play games with, and yeah, it's, it's so pretty to look at. The dice are really nice. They're good color. They're good quality. Yeah, it's it almost feels like it's like a... I don't know who's the company that does like an Eagle Griffin style game because it's that kind of components and stuff. But yeah, it's just like Huck, I think. It's a really, it's really nice and really pretty. Yeah, Jason, it's probably the prettiest game since uh, Flying Buffalo Games Nuclear War, <laughs> uh, for sure. I don't know. Nuclear War is almost uh, that's pretty stunning artwork right there. It's the best that you could do uh, with a <laughs> pair of scissors and construction paper when that game came out. I, those guys are awesome, honestly. Like. And I guess that game's decent because they've been selling it for like 40 years now or something. But those guys are the nicest people. If you ever go to a con, <laughs> look for the Flying Buffalo guys. Like they are, they seriously, they will, the, the president and CEO of that company will sit down and play a game with you like for hours. It's wow, really awesome. awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. They were at like some tiny little con I went to one time too. And they were like the biggest deal there, which is kind of awesome. I felt good for them on that. So yeah, that's cool. 
Yeah, but Ratchets of the Ganges does look pretty awesome, if I'm going to be honest about it. Um, I will look forward to playing that at some point here in the future. Uh, the game I played is another one that you got me excited about. This is one that your wife has in her top 10. And I thought, you know what? She has pretty good taste in games. I'm going to see what that game's all about. And so I did. I checked it out. I bought it on a pretty good sale. And that game is Shakespeare. Um, and I ended up playing it. And I kind of complained about the rulebook a little bit. And it's not bad at all. It's actually an awesome rulebook. Once you know how the game works to go look up rules, it's right. perfect. Yeah. But it's like they keep referencing stuff that you're like, what is the ambience track? Well, like, why do I, how do I know where to put this at? They're like, we'll just put it on the ambience track. But, uh, uh, and then you figure out what the ambience track is. And then you're like, oh, yeah, well, that makes sense. So right, yeah, I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. It's an awesome game, though. You don't have the expansion, right? I don't. Uh, but like, I think I looked at the expansion. It's pretty inexpensive on Amazon. And I, I like this one enough that I probably end up picking it up, honestly. Yeah, the expansion is nice because it gives you something to do with the tokens that you use that you don't bid with. Yeah. So then you get to use all five of your tokens every time, which is pretty nice. It's just a, like a deck of cards, but it adds uh, a whole ton to the game, which is pretty amazing. Your wife said it makes the jeweler more useful, too, which I felt like the jeweler was pretty important to own. But then I was like, well, what if you don't get a chance to jump on some of those yellows? You know right, what I mean? Right, so yeah. It can get less important if everybody has a jeweler and there's one piece of gold. Right. Yeah. So those who haven't played Shakespeare, there's one character that is able to get these like wild card tokens slash costume tokens that are jewelry, I guess. Um, and that's the only way you can get them is if you have a jeweler. Well, it's like one of those things of you have to pay enough attention to the jeweler to or else you'll like lose out. But at the same time, you can't build a strategy around it, you know? So, right. um, I don't know. I, it was a really cool game though. Um, just loved how it was like, you keep adding like worker placements to your, your board. And it was just like, so, you know, we, we're going to have the interview with Jamie on here in a little bit. If someone told me it was one of their games, if it was a Stonemeyer game, I would believe them because it has that same like elegant, everything just feeds into each other so nicely and smoothly kind of thing as that game has. Uh, as Jamie's games have. I mean, it's just, everything goes together so well, all the different little modules and just, uh, I don't know. It's, it's so clean. Like the game is just, I don't know what else to call it except for just a clean design. And it's, it's your classic for sure. I talk about this all the time on this show. It's one of those games that the sum of its parts, it far exceeds that with fun and gameplay. Like if you told someone it's a game where you're going to take cards and then you can put things on them to activate them and put like chips and circles on other cards You'd go, okay, cool. But like, once you play it, just how well it all balances out and how just how cool it all is, it just it works. It's just good. Yeah. The, the thing that blows me away on this game is it's from a starry. Like, they're not known for making like amazing games, really. They have some good games, but this game is amazing. It really feels yeah. like it could have been put out by like Z Man or Rio Grande or something that's actually an established company that makes lots of good games. So, yeah, I, I don't know. That's just cool to me. Yeah, I, I just felt like it was a really good game. The art's really good on it, too, especially for a Starry Game or whatever that company is that put it out, um, for sure. All right, so I played another round of Vinos, and I played on the Z-Man version, not the fancy one you have. Um, so I played it with some people who actually don't know a lot of Vitalis Herta games. And it only took me about 15 minutes to explain, and we played it in about an hour, a three-player game, which was pretty nice. So you explained it in 50, five, zero minutes? 15. 15. I was going to say, yeah. 50 feels like a lot. I mean, I know it's kind of heavy. <laughs> yeah. Basically, I just you know showed them the parts, told them what all this stuff did, and then I said, we'll discuss the wine fair when we need to discuss the wine fair. That way we, smart. we didn't get bogged down with it. While, you know, and I discussed loans and I said, when you go to the bank, I can explain more of that. So let's just focus on this. And then when you take one of those actions, we'll go into it further. But yeah, it was amazing. I lost real bad, but it definitely, the bank and not having cash on hand really makes that game come alive. Like it really makes you have to ponder just going and blowing all your money in the first round. You need to make that last for a little bit and spread it out. And it was a great game. Yeah, uh, I enjoy that one a lot too. I I think uh, I think the 2010 version is the way to play. We talked about that last episode, um, but I'm glad you got another play in. And it's one of those games that it doesn't have to take forever. I mean, it just it doesn't. I mean, 
if you have people who are kind of planning their their actions ahead of time, you can't be blocked on it, you know? So, I mean, right. I don't know. Just kind of figure out what you want to do and go. So, yep. yeah, another another good one that I... Uh, it might be a little heavy for like the Journeyman's Hall of Fame. It might need a special spot in like uh, the Hall of Fame of heavy games or something. I don't know. Right. So, yeah. So, Ustari Games, going back to them. One of their games that is awesome that everyone needs to check out is Spirium. But you can't check it out because it's out of print and I don't even have a copy. So, uh, anyway, I oh. just thought I'd add that oh, yeah. as a little addendum. Yeah, that game is really cool. And then Sherlock Holmes. I think is is Yustari at one point too, but yeah. Other than that, you're right. Like their their games aren't really that well known. Shakespeare's definitely their most well known game. You got you got my ADD flared up there, Jason. You made me go look it up. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean they also have like Metropolis and Mykonos, the one about yeah, the museum. My Karanos, or however you say yeah. that. Yeah, they have some good games, but th- none of them can hold a candle to Shakespeare. That game is just. Head and shoulders above all of those. Yeah, I I think you'll have to talk more about it, too, at some point, Jason. You'll have to play it and, and talk about it, too, so we can both rave about it. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. I, it's awesome. Like, I got done playing it, and I was like, this is probably a top 20 game. I mean, I just really enjoyed playing it. Um, and, I, and I played with a guy who doesn't normally pick games up very quickly, and he learned it no problem, was competitive. I beat him by a couple points just because he couldn't pay an actor, so that worked out really well for me. Yep. So, um well, that was a little bit of like yogurt that you eat between courses because I'm going to talk about something now that is just like pure, like like <laughs> French cuisine about what I played. Uh, uh. I played Happy Pigs with the Farm Friends, Friends expansion. Um, and I mean, like Jason, you can go ahead and just mute your microphone for a while because I'm going to talk. <laughs> <laughs> I love this game. I know that you're like okay with it, but the Farm Friends expansion is seriously four bucks. And it adds like three different kinds of animals to it, and they do nothing in the game at all except for look different. That's all they do, but it's fun. <laughs> that, like you have that's little hilarious. Sheep now and little chickens and little cows. And this is one that my wife played. And okay, so I feel like I'm doing really well when I get over 200 bucks on this thing. Like I think I got like 240 when you and I played. Right. She yeah. she scored 309 points. I was like, Are you <laughs> kidding me? How did you do that? <laughs> And I remember I looked over her board at one point, and it had like eight huge. She had cows. She had eight huge cows, and I was like, "How did she? Is she cheating? Like, what's going on here?" Like, so are you serious that all those extra animals do nothing? They add nothing I'm to the game. One hundred percent dead serious. And beyond <laughs> that, you can buy ducks and penguins that I don't have yet that do absolutely nothing. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh. It's still the same base game. I think it's just, I mean, like, it's every play, every person can have their own little set of their own right. unique animal. That's kind of cool, but, actually, yeah. Uh, the problem is they need to sell, like, you know how Smash Up has that big geeky box? Where yeah. You have expansions in one box? Yeah. Like, they need to do that for this game. They need to have, like, <laughs> the fat pig's box. I mean, like, so I can fill all the expansions in there and stuff. Because I had them all in their own little, like, Tupperware bowls, so it comes out quick and gets played. Well, right. now I can't do that. I've got a bunch of stuff bagged, and it takes, like, six minutes to set up and tear down now, so... It'll never hit the table. I think you're the only person that has that problem, I'm sure. <laughs> All right, listen. <laughs> I need, I'm counting on the Riveted. At least one person in the Riveted out there has to have played this game. you got to wrap it up for me, guys, that the Happy Pigs is, is a solid game. <laughs> it really, I mean, for a game that looks like a Haba game that is like throwing pigs into a basket, is what you would guess is happening in that game based on the cover. It's a much cooler game than that, for <laughs> sure. You don't have to sell it to me. I've played it. I like it. You think I like it less than I do, but I really do like it. All I'm saying is it should be your number one favorite <laughs> game of all time, Jason. I mean, that's all I'm asking. You're right. You're right. Being in the number two spot is just wrong, I guess. <laughs> Sorry, Vidal Lacerda. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's an awesome game. And I, I've not played it with anybody who's like, yeah, I, it's it's too brain burning for me. <laughs> or like, it's, <laughs> right, you know, yeah. it's too luck based. I mean, like, it's just a good balance of fun. Um but I did definitely play it. I was going to put something else on here that I played, but I'll I'll wait till some other time to talk about the other one I played, just because I wanted to bring up Happy Pigs again. <laughs> right. We're riding that Happy Pigs train to the moon, buddy. I don't know if trains go to the moon, but this one is. We're going to bring revolution and Happy Pigs to the masses. That's what we're doing. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you better buy your copy of Happy Pigs now, because when it goes out of print, it is going to be hard to find. They're going to be worth some money. They're going to be gold. <laughs> 
Okay. When everyone's grandma owns a copy of Happy Pigs, and you do, because it spans all generations, all all creeds, all colors, all nations, everyone's going to love Happy Pigs after we're done. Except maybe vegetarians. They might have to change it with, like, carrots and stuff. <laughs> My wife was really funny playing this game. She was, like, petting the pigs. She was like, oh, poor guy. I got to sell you. But I'm sure you're just going to a place where you're going to be in a petting zoo. <laughs> yeah. Never mind the card that says Bacon Festival or whatever. What? Pigs can't enjoy a bacon festival? <laughs> be in a petting zoo at a bacon festival? That'd be uh, kind of yeah. twisted, actually. That would be, yeah. Uh, this game's taking a whole dark turn. <laughs> All right, Jason. Talk about something different. <laughs> All right. Um, I played Council of Four. Not the Simon version, because I'm angry at that one. But <laughs> the old one. The original printing. Essentially, Wait, the- is it Simon? The old one's not Simon. The new one's Simon. Is it? I thought it was uh, Asmodee. No, nope, it's Simon. Oh, gotcha. I mean, they do the same thing as Asmodee with that MAPP pricing, but yeah, that's neither here nor there. Um, so Council of Four, basically what you're trying to do here is you're trying to be the first person to get all of your buildings out on the map. And if you can build in certain color cities first, you're going to get a pile of points. If you can build in one whole region of the board, you're going to get a whole pile of points. And every time you build a city on the board... You're trying, it triggers all other bonuses of adjacent cities. So you can get like nine bonuses, a whole bunch of points, a whole bunch of coins by putting one building down. The the trick about this game is you have to use cards in your hand to influence these four little meeples that are in these councils. There's four councils with four people. For every color card you can match to a a person, you don't have to pay any money. But sometimes you're only going to be able to play two cards, you're going to pay a pile of cash. Sometimes you can only play one card. You're going to pay even more cash because you really need a permit to build in that city. I mean, it's a simple game, but there are tons of decisions to be made. And it is a brain-burning game, way brain-burnier than I thought I would be. It sounds like uh, Ticket to Council of Suburbia. It actually feels like Ticket to Kingdom Builder almost. But it it makes Kingdom Builder feel like a game instead of just a waste of time. So imagine if... Kingdom Builder was good, and then you throw in the ticket to ride card mechanic, you would have some Council of Four. But Council of Four is way better than that, but that sums it up a little bit. This is the second time you've called a game Kingdom Builder, but good, which tells me <laughs> Kingdom Builder haunts you. Like, it haunts you and how bad it is. It does. Like, I don't, I don't know why I hate that game so much. I usually don't hate games, but man, that game is just like, it's sticking in my head how bad it is. Yeah, you're right. I, I don't know. Okay, like... Donald X, just just go ahead and hit the skip 30 seconds part right now. Because <laughs> I'd like to have you on the show at some point, but just hit the skip 30 seconds part. Like, everything about that game is just bad. Like, the art is bad. It really like, is. It's just, everything is bad on it. I don't... <laughs> yeah. It's not good, man. I, I wonder if he, like, is, like, embarrassed of it, or if he's like, that's my baby. I love that game. I, I don't know. Like, I don't really like Dominion, but Dominion is, like, a billion times better than Kingdom Builder. I agree. <laughs> Way builder. It's been 30 seconds. Donald's back with us. <laughs> and right. that's why I love Kingdom Builder so much. Yes, it's so good. So good. All right. Uh, <laughs> anything more on Council of Four, Jason? No, I'll just I'll have to let you play it because I think you really enjoy it. It's it doesn't take really long and it's just super fun. It's a fun like route building game, and I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. It looks cool. I think I would dig it. Uh, the one I'm, I'm going to mention now, you would definitely dig. I think you will like this game a lot, Jason. Um, Brew Crafters. I finally got to play this game. I like have been on like a month long journey to get a copy and play it. And it like, usually when you hype a game up that much or you're that like, Oh, I got to play this game. It disappoints you. This one did not at all whatsoever. This game was absolutely everything I wanted it to be. It is amazing. I love this game. It's, mm, Today, today the day we're recording, 4-16-2018, I just let you guys know how the, how the sausage is made. We record on, on like a few days before we publish, so now you know that. Um, <laughs> but today on 4-16-2018, this game is my favorite game. Like I would, if you ask me to play any game right now, I would play it. It is so good. Um, it gets comparisons to Agricola. And I guess I understand that a little bit, but it's not Agricola really at all. Um, when I saw your picture, it looked like Agricola. It's that green board, I'm sure. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. But it's just an awesome game. I, I don't know, man. It's 
you you start off with having a little tiny brewery that you can barely make beer in, and you have to go out and recruit ingredients, and then and then you you know produce beer and try and get enough money in your first year that you can pay all your workers and pay your rent, and then the next year you're like, I'm gonna try and upgrade a couple things, you know, and see if I can make it a little better. And I ended up beating my son by like two points. Um, just such a good little game. Um, it's so fun. You have all these different beer recipes out there you can make. And if you're the first person to make that kind of beer, you get bonuses. You can upgrade your facilities to have like a brew pub in there. So like a brew pub lets you brew more beers and sell them directly to the public instead of having to bottle them. And just so many cool things. If you eventually get enough prestige as a beer, as a beer producing factory or a pub, uh, microbrewery, you can uh, do like a tour, like do tours inside your place and get extra prestige for all the different kinds of beers you make. If you do like tasting tours, um, just so cool. And the thing about it too, I, I've read enough about it because I've been obsessed about this game for a while that people who own like microbreweries have a copy of this game in the back to play with people. Cause it's like remarkably accurate to how it really is to run a, a microbrew, like I'm uh, like micro brewing facility. Um, just a really fun game. And it really does feel like you're like running an industry. It feels like you're running a, a, a brewery. It's just really fun how you have to balance all your money and then like your ingredients. But then to store enough ingredients, you have to build more storage. I mean, just such a cool game. It, it feels like, it feels like any really good sim game you'd play on a computer. Um, it just has that like feel of just expanding and creating something that you're really proud of and love. And it's not long. It's pretty short. There's only, I want to say like 16 turns. Um, so really cool. Yeah, that's crazy. I was just looking this up, and it's Dice Hate Me Games is the publisher. Yeah. That's crazy. I didn't know they did games bigger than like the little tiny boxes. Well, they had to come out with a travel edition of this game too, which they definitely did. Like they have a little travel edition. So that's, yeah. that's crazy. It's it's a really good game. Um, and the other thing, too, is you can get a first edition game of it, a copy of it, really cheap. The only difference about first edition and second edition is a sticker that you can buy from from Dice Hate Me Games for 95 cents. And then you, like, you upgrade your game. So, I mean, I don't know if people don't know that or if they don't go through the hassle of ordering the sticker. Right. But um, it upgrades your game. And then actually you get the advanced variant built into it. Because the original first copy, first edition, is a more punishing version of the game. It's a little tighter. Um, and then they changed a couple of little rules to make it a little bit like easier on people. Um, so, but it's just uh, such a good game. There's these experts you can get to that give you player powers. There's like local partnerships you can get to like exchange grains for coffee to make like coffee based beers and just all kinds of cool stuff in that game. Next time we get to, together, we'll have to play this and Rogers of the Ganges and we can see, uh, all the good stuff that we talked about today. Yeah. And I want to play console of four too. Oh, yeah. That's a good game. I played that and two then, days in a row. It's that good. And then we'll have to do uh, what we always do when we get together to play games. We'll have to dedicate our four hours in the middle for Kingdom Builder because we love that game so much. Um, <laughs> we do our Kingdom Builder time and play play all the kingdoms and build them So uh, like we love to do. Only if we can use all the expansions this time. Yes, the big box. Donald, <laughs> go ahead and hit the skip 30 seconds button again for me. Thanks, bud. <laughs> We're lying. We don't actually do that. It's, again, not a very good game. We don't like it. We'd probably rather play, I don't know, Munchkin or something. You're right. That's a good question. Would you rather play Munchkin or Kingdom Builder? Munchkin, for sure. I think so, too. And I don't down. like Munchkin at all. <laughs> all right, 30 seconds. And that's why we love Kingdom Builder still. I really wish my copy wasn't so worn out. <laughs> All that shuffling from your hand of card. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, my hand of card (laughs) does get handled a lot. (laughs) Oh, man. All right. Well, that's all. I mean, I did play a couple other things, but I'm not going to mention those this show. Just in case I don't get something played this weekend. I'll I'll pretend like I played it last weekend. Right. Yeah. Let me do Actually, I'm going to have an amazing gaming weekend because my wife is gone all day on Saturday. And so that means like I get to be like wearing the sweatpants, playing the board games all day. True, unhygienic gamer style. That's awesome. That's the dream right there. The American dream. <laughs> it is. <laughs> 
ordering a hoagie from, from the Walmarts <laughs> the night before so I could have a big hoagie there for all of us to, in our sweatpants, enjoy a hoagie and play some games. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Look for pictures of the hoagie on 421 <laughs> on Facebook. All right. So I guess our passphrase is how many feet of hoagie do I need for my board game day? <laughs> how much hoagie is too much hoagie? Oh, man. Jason, can I tell you something really fun? <laughs> yeah. I forgot we have another segment in this in this episode. All right, deep breath. <laughs> All right, guys, we got a chance to sit down with Jamie Stegmaier of Stonemaier Games and ask him about Kickstarter and some of the things that he loves about Kickstarter. And we also got to talk about some of his upcoming projects. It was a really nice interview. He's a great guy. Uh, here he is, without further ado, Mr. Jamie Stegmaier. Hey guys, what's going on? It's Jason, and with me is... I'm Joel, and we hey, have a very special guest today. Yes, and that special guest is Mr. Jamie Stegmeyer. Hey guys, hey, thanks Jamie. for having me. Hey. So Jamie, I don't know if you've listened to our show a lot, but we're really into like gotcha journalism, and so we're really going to try and pressure you about My Little Scythe. Uh, my Little Scythe? <laughs> what is that? Right, 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 right. I've done I've done the private investigation work on that. I, I, I'm on to you. So anyway, I, <laughs> I, I know you have to refrain from comment probably on that for now, but um, I don't have any daughters, but someone on this on this line does, and I'm sure they're pretty, yes. pretty excited about that. So I, I would totally play My Little Scythe way before I play regular Scythe, because My Little Pony is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, yeah, I for listeners who don't understand, maybe we should tell them, like, My Little Scythe is, is not actually a Stillmeyer thing. It's a, uh, it's a print-and-play game that was put out almost a year ago now by a, a designer, yeah. a fan of Scythe, who wanted to play it with his daughter. And so he made a print and play that ended up winning like the Golden Geek print of the play print and play award last year, and uh, and I played it. It's it's really really cool. Um, but uh, I did talk to Hasbro about it a while ago, and they they were not willing to uh. use the My Little Pony uh, theme. Um, so unfortunately, that that didn't work out. Yeah, your uh, components for Scythe are too good for Hasbro. I think their response was actually <laughs> they said. We were interested in making toys, but not games, which I thought was really interesting because Hasbro does make games, but yeah, they, right. they, they talked specifically about toys in, in their response to that. Maybe that's just for My Little, my little Pony. Doesn't Hasbro own Watsy? Like Wizards of the Coast? I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Oh yeah. maybe that's it, wild. It must have just been for My Little Pony. Maybe I read that out of context. Yeah. Well, <laughs> hey, we had you on here uh, to have a real talk, I guess. Um I guess what we kind of want to talk about, Jamie, with you is um, I think we're just really curious. You've you've kind of become an icon in the board gaming community. You've become kind of our our diplomat. It's just like you and Will Wheaton almost. I don't know. <laughs> um, so at any rate, uh, I just kind of want to get a little of your story for some people who might not know it. Um, you're kind of a pioneer on Kickstarter. And I'm just kind of curious about uh, your story on that. So do you want to just kind of tell us your story? I know Viticulture, I think, was your first board game that you did on Kickstarter. Um, just kind of talk through what the decision was to go that route. Um, and had you explored other avenues before Kickstarter? Yeah, sure. I, I, I learned about Kickstarter really, really early on. I think there was an article in the New York times right around when they launched and right away I was like, that is fascinating. Like, I love the idea that they're, they're removing gatekeepers. They're, they're putting the power in the hands of, of people and they give creators the, the potential to make anything and uh, have relationships with their customers. Like every, every single one of their customers, they can know their names. So I was just fascinated by that. And a few years later, I started to see some board game projects on Kickstarter. And one of my lifetime hobbies has been playing and designing board games. So I was like, you know, I, I have this fascination with Kickstarter and, and board games, so I'll try to combine them. And that's when I started working on Viticulture. Is Viticulture the first game, your first design? I've, I've designed, well... In a way. I mean, I've designed games since I was a little kid, but usually, like, when I say design that way, it means that I I made, like, one prototype of a game and played it once or twice, and that was it. Which I now right. know as an adult that that's, like, just the tip of the iceberg of the design process. But as an eight-year-old, that felt pretty good. Um, <laughs> but, but, yeah, Viticulture is the first game that I designed fully from, from start to finish. Nice. The other thing is eight-year-old imagination and memory, like... 
is a faulty camera, I guess, in our minds. Yeah. So I imagine part of you hopes to still catch that lightning in a bottle you caught as an eight-year-old. Eight <laughs> I mean, oh yeah, I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you uh, you did do Viticulture, and that was a pretty successful Kickstarter. And then I think you, you did all your projects except for Charterstone on Kickstarter, it seems. Yeah, most of our new... I say our, uh, so I, I co-founded a company with Viticulture. I co-founded a company called Stillmeyer Games with uh, uh, yeah. my co-founder and business partner, Alan. Um, and uh, yeah, most of our, our products, our, our new releases were on Kickstarter. Um, our reprints weren't, um, but our, our first print run was leading up through Scythe. So Scythe was the last one. Scythe was the seventh. Right. Um, Scythe raised the most money. I think Scythe uh, was has been really special for our company. And that was in November of 2015. And since then, and soon after that, I kind of decided that that would be my last Kickstarter. Um, so since then, I moved away from the platform as a creator, but I'm still very active in terms of my fascination with the platform and, and what I can learn from other creators who use it, as well as as a backer. I, I back tons of stuff on Kickstarter. And for listeners who haven't read Jamie's blog, he has some really excellent material there about if you're thinking about doing a Kickstarter, I think that that's one of the preeminent places to go and kind of get information. You have a really great blog, really transparent with your thinking about Kickstarter. Um, I really appreciate reading through some of those things. Uh, in particular, the one where you said why I decided to quit Kickstarter, where you talk about some of the pressure and some of the things that um, have to do with distribution and challenges that you do face in Kickstarter. And I think that's a really neat blog entry just because it shows people who are thinking, hey, I've got this uh, foam core board with some like Sharpie on it. I think I'm going to do a Kickstarter to really understand that there's a lot that goes into a Kickstarter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, I'm glad you that, – that was a, a kind of a vulnerable entry to share because it, it, it I went into some mistakes that I made and some like – basically some fears that I had about running a future Kickstarter. And those those fears were also risks that I just wanted to mitigate by by using distribution instead of – sending games to thousands of people worldwide. Right. So can we talk for a second here about the direction Kickstarter has gone? I know that in the early days of Kickstarter, we saw things like Alien Frontiers and Viticulture uh, come out that were from unknown designers at the time. And they kind of launched you guys and gave you a place to, to send some games into you know, the atmosphere. Uh, and that, I think, was you know, the, intentional, the, the original spirit of Kickstarter for sure. Since then, we've seen some companies like... Um, some larger companies really use it as more of a pre-release or pre-order kind of um, tool. How do you feel about that? Is that something that you are kind of like to each their own or is that, I mean, it feels like you kind of have gone away with that as your company has grown. Um, can you talk a little about that? Yeah. Um, so my, my general philosophy about any project is if a creator is doing awesome things for their backers, um, I support what they're doing on Kickstarter. I think we all have different motivations behind why we've used it. All the creators who have used it. Like I talk about, like funding is, is one that does stand out. And you look at companies mm -hmm. like Comini or not, where you, and they're a publicly traded company. So you, we know that they make a lot of money and that they probably <laughs> have a decent cash reserve. Um, but what we don't know, um, is, and what they don't know is the demand for their games. Like they're raising money for Zombicide right now. They maybe had a rough idea of how many copies they'd need to make in the first print run, but they definitely didn't know the exact number. And Kickstarter lets them know that number. It helps with buzz and marketing. Hopefully, it helps with like stretch goals and making the game better and making it cooler than what it could have been. Um, and it cre many creators use Kickstarter to build community and build this you know this hub of excitement of people who are sharing a passion for thirty days and then for however long it takes to make the product. I think all that's awesome. So even if you're a small creator or a big creator. In my opinion, if you're doing cool things for, for the backers, um, that's great. I know some people are concerned, and, and maybe you might be alluding to this, that sometimes the bigger creators get in the way of the small creators, which I think uh, that can happen, but it is a pretty big space, too. That's, that's a good way to put it. And I mean, I know that there really is. I know, I don't know, not like you know, but when you, you know, produce Charterstone, you probably had a good feel for how many copies you would sell. But I know that with like lead times to get a game produced, you don't want to short that, but you don't want to be in the $7 bargain bin on Miniature Market or something either, you know, because you produced way too many copies. So that's a definite risk. Uh, it's interesting that you guys have decided to go not the Kickstarter route. Um, it, it seems like it's a brave move to, to go the direction you are going. Um, a wise move though, probably, because I think it definitely creates 
a level of legitimacy for Stonemaier Games that you guys absolutely deserve. Um, being an independent publisher who like funds your own projects. So very cool. Yeah, I was surprised even with Scythe, which was pretty pretty well received out of the gate, and and we were already like making more print runs. There were still reviewers that like dismissed it as a Kickstarter thing, or they right. look at the components and be like, "Oh, these are like obviously this is a Kickstarter project," but it was just a game with nice components. Like there are plenty of games with nice components, and so I that while that wasn't a motivation for me, it was kind of refreshing with Charterstone, where I sent it to certain reviewers and I was like, "Hey, just to let you know, this was not a Kickstarter game." You don't have to say that anymore. <laughs> you just look at it like a game, like any other game. That's sad that it had to be that way, but I understand kind of a, a relief that you might get from that. So Jason and I are definitely excited about an expansion coming from your company soon, and it's not the one that most people are excited about. <laughs> right, yeah. We're huge fans of Euphoria, actually, so we're looking forward to that for sure. Um, is that going to be coming out before the side expansion, or what's the timeline on that? Uh, Euphoria is... So it's been, I don't know if you followed it, but it, it, it's been a, kind of a long time coming. I think we've right. talked about it for a couple of years now, and uh, I'm not the designer of it. I, I I did not have any ideas for it, basically. So I asked um, Morton, one, our part-time employee in Denmark, who uh, mainly makes the solo versions of our games. But uh, he, he wanted the challenge of making a solo version of Euphoria. And I said, well, while you're doing that, why don't you also make an expansion for it? So he's been working on that for a long time. Um, right now, we are doing the art for it. The, the original artist, Jackie Davis, is working on the art. And it has evolved. It, it was different things at different times, but it has evolved into mostly just like a more stuff expansion. More recruits, more markets. Um, and there's a few additional things, but uh, we tried out like a more sweeping expansion that, that included a lot of new mechanisms and uh, we did a whole wave of blind playtesting, and after that, we were like, "No, it's just not working. Let's just let's just make more good stuff for people who already like the game." I'm fine with that, Jason. I'm sure you are too. Yes, yeah. I just I just got my copy today, and I opened it. I was like, "Man, this could use for some more stuff. That would be <laughs> awesome to have some more stuff." Yeah, no, excellent. Uh, and then it feels like when I've been reading about the upcoming side expansion, it feels a little bit like. Um, you, you got your Tuscany expansion. I mean, like they're akin to each other almost that you talk about modules and not really, I mean, I guess not legacy gameplay, but how you kind of unpack it the same way they originally, originally how we did Tuscany. Um, it, it, I don't know. It feels the same to me. I know they're probably not the same. Do you think that expansion might do some of the same things that Tuscany did for Viticulture? I think you're the first one to notice that. I, I didn't even think about that, but I, um, subconsciously, I bet it did have an impact because, like you said, like the original Tuscany was a bunch of different modules in a box that you could uh, kind of pick and choose or unlock in a different order if you wanted to, and that is that is definitely part of what the Rise of Fenris is. The other part is some things that I learned from Charterstone, and it it's the the campaign portion. So you can run it as an eight game campaign that you can do over and over again. It does have elements of discovery, so there are spoilers in it, but. I will be pretty open about what they are. Unlike in Charterstone, like where I like hit everything, this will not be that. But if for people who don't want to try to play the campaign, sometimes that's difficult for people to find the same group to play something a couple eight different times. You know, you can just mix in those modules however you want. And I'm kind of looking forward to seeing how people do mix and match those modules and which ones they had the most fun with. I think that you're just uh, an awesome diplomat for the board gaming community, and I really hope that this expansion just takes off for you. I know it has a lot of of uh, interest in it for sure right now. My own personal story, my own evidence for how awesome you are as a uh, designer is I played Charterstone wrong the first time I played it a little bit. And so I jumped on the Facebook page and said, hey, I screwed this rule up. What can I do? Expecting just somebody to answer. And I think it was actually you uh, that jumped on. He said, oh, no worries. Just do this thing. And I was like, cool. I didn't expect that. But uh so I, I've determined that you must have like uh, either like a really good espresso machine or something at home to like stay awake all the time or something. But your your uh, your reputation is stellar for just being available and being an awesome diplomat for what you do. Uh, and I really hope that you have a lot of great things coming out. Is there anything that you want to talk about uh, that's an upcoming project that we haven't touched on? I uh, well, we're kind of on the topic of expansions. The 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 thing that's coming out. The nearest in the future is the uh, the visit from the from the Rhine Valley Viticulture expansion. Yeah, which is, it's a small box expansion. It's it's uh, definitely not the size of Fenris or probably even the size of Euphoria, but um, I think it'll add for people who love Viticulture and they want to try out a whole new set of visitor cards that replace the original visitor cards. They can give that a try. Have you guys played Viticulture? 
Oh yeah, oh, absolutely. I've, I've I've played that like forty times. It feels like it. Like it's it's like fifteen times already this year. That, I love I love that game. That's the only game that I'll sit down and play solo and just enjoy it. I yeah. mean, and the Automa just kicks my butt every time for some reason. I feel like a bad player because of it, but <laughs> it just does. I think that might, that's my favorite Autonomous. I, I, I design the multiplayer stuff. I don't always know Autonomous all that well, but that, that one is so streamlined. I think anyone can learn the Viticulture Autonomous. It feels yeah. like you're playing an app. I mean, it's not fiddly at all, where a lot of times when you play a solo game, you feel like you're doing three people's worth of work to make it work, and that one doesn't feel that way at all. My favorite part is when I flip a card and I don't have to put any workers out. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it feel, feels like you're cheating a little. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll tell you, my number one game, I did my top 100 games back in uh, November, and Scythe was my number one favorite, and Viticulture was, I think, top 20 as well. So I'm a really big fan of your work. Euphoria is a top 50 game for me also. Uh, you do worker placement as well as anybody. And I think it's hilarious. I'm going to just mock the people who say this because there's no merit at all in this. When people on like Reddit or the Facebook groups go, Jamie's a great diplomat for board games, but he's an okay designer. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> this guy's like got like multiple top 20 games. I mean, just amazing designs. So I, uh, I defend you. I'm a, I'm a uh, evangelical and an apologist of Jamie's. So, <laughs> Well, sure. thank you. That means a lot to me. I think this will be kind of an interesting year for us though, because all our next four games are not designed by me. They're all huh. kind of developed by me. I, I've definitely had an impact on them, but I'm curious to see how they're received by, by you guys, by everyone who's, who's maybe played my games, but, uh, and maybe you'll see some of my influence on, uh, influences on these games, but I'm kind of merging more into being a publisher than just a designer. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna ask about that because between two cities was not designed by you, correct? That's right. Yeah, that was our first attempt at at uh, publishing a game not designed by me. Yeah, so I was I was going to ask if you were going to plan on doing that, but you answered the question. So sweet. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, JB, I think we got to ask you some of the like typical questions you ask people. Um, Jason's got down one here. What are you playing right now? Um, yeah. Well, actually, I played a game for the first time the other day that I've never played before. I'm curious to hear you guys thoughts on it if you played it i played uh, twilight imperium 4 on sunday have you played that I'm i haven't out. <laughs> yeah jason's allergic <laughs> to space i i haven't played four i've played three um but i've heard four is a much better experience three got a little bit like you could have a cup of tea between your turns kind of thing and it got bogged down pretty bad but i've heard four is excellent i did i did it, it was definitely outside of the range of length of games that i usually play but as Twilight Imperium goes, it was it was a five-player game, and it took us five hours, which I don't think is all that bad. No, not at all. Yeah, that's, that's nice. Yeah, and it was – and it's one of those games – you know, I do these uh, favorite mechanism videos, and it's one of these games that has, like, 20 cool mechanisms in it, um, <laughs> yeah. which makes it over the top in many ways, but there's a lot to pick from. It does a lot of cool things. I, it's one of those that I wanted to play as a designer so I could learn from it, and I'm glad I did. I have a I have a pitch for you, Jamie. I want you to design this game, and you can just put my name in there, like inspired by or something. Sure. Yeah. So I I was watching one of your Q and A's on Facebook the other day, uh, maybe a month ago now. I was homesick, and I was actually able to catch one live. And uh, you mentioned some of the projects you were working on, and one of them was like an IP licensed game that you were working with another company to produce a game that had a license to it. Yeah. And and so I was thinking about that a little bit, and I was thinking it's got to be a Scooby Doo game. And so I was thinking you've got to come up with a Scooby Doo dungeon crawl legacy game. So if you do make that, just give me a footnote in there somewhere and send me a review copy, and I'll be really happy. So take that football and run with it. It's yours. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, that would be an amazing so, game to play. Did you happen to hear what that IP was? I didn't. Is that public now? Yeah, I ended up revealing it because I have given up on it. <laughs> Which I've never really done with the design that I've gotten this far along with, but I, uh, it's, it's a book series that I absolutely love. And after four attempts at, uh, designing it and trying it and then scrapping it and doing it again, I just realized that I can't do it. And so I kind of put it out there to the world the other day to say, Hey, I love this IP. If you want to give it a try, design it and send me the game and maybe we'll publish it. It's a book series called Red Rising. Either of you heard of that? I haven't, but you're intriguing me already because you've, Good taste in making games. You probably have good taste in books. I, I can't say that for sure, but yeah, I, I personally love the book. <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a kind of a dystopian. Does have space in it, so I don't know if that'll appeal to you. But it, it's a space yeah. uh, dystopian fiction, and uh, it's a great book. But uh, yeah, so that was that was happy. It wasn't Scooby Doo, but maybe I'll now that I've given up on that, maybe I'll try Scooby Doo. <laughs> 
I had the same problem with my uh, Anna Green Gables design I was trying to get done. I just I couldn't really portray the spirit of Anna Green Gables <laughs> in my in my uh, war game I was trying to make. So I don't know. Yeah, it was just tough. Uh, Red Rising, I have to check that out. And actually, you've done publishing before you did the board game world, if I remember right, like uh, doing some stuff with publishing uh, early on before even like you did Viticulture, if I remember right. That's right. You have a good memory. Yeah, I was I was a project manager at a, at a book publishing company. And then I my first foray into Kickstarter was actually with a, a very small local fiction publishing company that I helped to find to found. I'm glad you're still like in that he's OK category. I'm not creepy yet. So no, no, no. <laughs> <If I, laughs> If I start telling like telling you like what color shirt you have on right now, then it gets creepy, I guess. Yeah, right? that was that was, that's where you cross the line. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll back up then. I guess a little. Uh... Yeah, another another question that we like to ask everybody is, who is your favorite designer right now besides yourself? Uh, in general, I have a top three. Can I say three? Yeah, absolutely. My my top three are Uva Rosenberg, um, Alexander Fister, and yes. Rob Davio. I, I, yeah, you, you, you like Fister? You like his work? Oh, I love his work. Yeah. No, no Feld? Feld is one that I admire, but his games are, are hit and miss for me, for sure. Um, My, mine's uh, Jamie Stegmeier, F- Philip DeBerry, and Alexander Fister. Uh, so you're in good company there. Uh, you guys just are really great designers. But with Feaster, I love that his designs are all so different from the other ones. Um, and I think you can say the same thing about you, too. You've done worker placement in so many different kind of cool ways. Um, I really like it. His, I go to him about once a year, and I say that I want to publish a game from him, from Alexander Fister. And he's, he's a really yeah. nice guy. He says that if he ever has one that fits our submission guidelines, um, he, might, he might consider it. But what, my, Isle of Sky is one of my favorite games, just period. I'm ready for you to do a game with Vital Lacerda. That's what I'm looking forward to. A few people have said that his style is actually <laughs> very different than mine. Because um, his, his games are, I don't know, they, they flow very diff- different than mine. And other than, like, Euphoria is a tough game to teach, but Euphoria is the closest I have to his games. Because his games have all these interconnected elements right. going on. Yeah, you, are you a fan of his games? Oh, yeah. he's He's got my number one game, the gallerist of all time. But you both have a game about wine. So it seems like the connection is is already there. It's it's working. I can see it. I mean, I, it's a vastly inferior game to Viticulture, obviously, but uh, <laughs> they're different. Very much so. Yeah, I would never, yeah. ever, ever try and play Vinos with my dad, but my dad's played Viticulture with me and loved it. So yeah, I would agree. Yeah, for sure. Jamie, anything you want to mention or anything you want to ask us? Well, you guys asked me what I was playing recently. I'd love to hear what you're what you're playing. Did you get to play anything this past weekend? Uh, yeah, actually, I did. Uh, you know, we actually, we get, we live about 200 miles from each other. We're, we're Midwest guys too. Um, but we get together in like a central location and try and play games sometimes. And actually this last, not last weekend, but the weekend before we played a bunch of games and it was the first time we've not played one year games when we get together. But we, <laughs> we tend to play Viticulture. Uh, we play, I get Jason to play Scythe, even though it's not Traders in the Mediterranean. And, it, and it has fighting in it, but <laughs> I, I, I make do. But uh, what I'm playing right now, I, I'm really liking Great Western Trail. That's uh, a favorite of mine right now for this season of life. Uh, I do love Viticulture. I, I, it's been a perennial favorite of mine for sure. Um, Euphoria's come back on strong with me. And like Jason said, he just got a copy of that. So I think he saw my copy and got the uh, the board games that he covets bug. <laughs> so he had to get a copy himself. So yeah. uh, absolutely. And and that's what I've been playing lately. Uh, Jason, what's made your list lately? Uh, I've been playing... I played some Vinos. I actually played Viticulture. I've been playing a lot of Dinosaur Island because I can't get enough of those little dinosaur meeples. And I've also been playing a lot of Role Player, which is going to scratch my abstract itch. But I really like those games. I played Role Player at... Uh, there's a little convention here in town called Geekway to the West. I played it last year, and it was one of the few games where I, I played it twice at the same convention because it, it's I, it's just such a good game. I have a lot it of is. It's a great game. I thought about asking a weird like St. Louis based question about how like you need to make a game about brewing beer or how upset you were that you didn't come up with the Lewis and Clark game yourself. I don't know, but I thought that was a little too obscure. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do put I don't know if you noticed there's a little Easter egg in every one of our games that shows the arch in it, the St. Louis arch. Oh, that's cool. It's in the art of, I think, every game or every game in expansion. Yeah. My wife and I love to go to St. Louis. It's a great town. And uh, 
I'm not sure if this will make it on the podcast or not, but it is. It's just a great town. We always stay at the uh, the Round Hotel. I think they tore it down now, but the Circular Hotel that's uh, right by the Arch there. Um, yeah, I don't remember the name of it, but anyway, I love that place. Go to the Grant's Farm and the zoo and all the cool stuff there. So, do you have a go-to restaurant when you're in town? Uh, Emos. <laughs> I know that's like <laughs> no, I know that's not really a, a nice sit-down place, but we definitely get pizza at Emos at some point when we're there. Um, no, what what's your suggestion? Uh, depends on the food. I, I have like a long list of things that I recommend depending on what like uh, who who makes the best pad thai in St. Louis. Best pad thai. Um, I'd say probably Thai Country Kitchen or maybe the King and I. They're both very good. And there's a great Thai restaurant called Fork and Sticks. I was just there yesterday. Um, they have some very good Thai dishes, but uh, their pad thai I would not say is the best. So do you want to start a cuisine podcast with us, Jamie? I mean, we'd love to have you. <laughs> I could easily talk about St. Louis food or food in general for quite, yeah, for quite a while. Hey, well, thanks for your time, Jamie. We really appreciate it. Uh, again, Jamie, Jamie Stegmeyer of Stonemeyer Games. Uh, coming here talking to us a little bit about just all kinds of stuff. Uh, we really appreciate you. And look for his, his upcoming expansions coming out this summer. Uh, and all of his games, you know him from Scythe, Viticulture, a number of things. Uh, Jamie, thanks for your time. And also, thank you for being such a great diplomat for the board gaming community, uh, being such a friendly guy, making the games so accessible, and really being somebody that we can be proud of in the board gaming community to, to be welcoming and helpful at all. That means a lot to me. I, I, I really appreciate that. I, I, you know, I kind of beat up myself for those times where I am not that, so it's nice to hear that uh, – that people see that and I'll try to I'll try to be more of that all the time. All right, cool. That was Jamie uh, Stegmeyer again of Stonemeyer Games. What a classy, awesome guy. Um, classy is so overused in general, but not enough with Jamie because he really is. He's a class act. That guy's awesome. Right. He came onto our podcast, a podcast of two nobodies, just to give us some of his time and his insight, and that's. He didn't have to do that. That's amazing. Right. Like a podcast where people repeatedly put in the comments, was Jewel on Peyote that episode? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll leave that for everyone to decide. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I wasn't this episode for sure on Peyote. So I've never done Peyote in my life. Um the coolest parts about that interview were the parts that he said we couldn't publish, the parts about him asking me how I knew about the Scooby-Doo game, and kind of getting a little aggressive about it, saying, like, was it Feld that told you about the, the Scooby-Doo game? I told him if he told anyone, I was going to cut him. And, like, I was like, whoa, Jamie, like, chill. I just guessed, man. And he got really mad, so I don't know. So That's true. Designers don't like it when you spoil their secrets like that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm lying. Jamie definitely did not see he was going to cut Steffenfeld. <laughs> Poor Steffenfeld, man. He's taking another shot. Uh, I don't know if I got edited it out or not. If it did, that's probably for the best. Uh. <laughs> no, honestly, what a cool guy. Um, and, like, honestly, just the fact that he made time for nobody like us. Like, all we could give him in return is, we will give you dozens of listens in return for your time. <laughs> dozens. <laughs> Literal dozens of listens. Now, we're actually growing like a little train here, guys. So, uh, I guess if you haven't subscribed, please do. And if you haven't left us an awesome review, I mean, like, any review will work. But hopefully if you listen to minute, whatever, 55 of this this insanity, you maybe like us a little. So yeah. give us a couple stars at least. I don't know. But that really does help. It helps us to keep our mojo rising. And it also helps people to find us, which is a lot of fun for us to, to get more people in the riveted, um, living that riveted life. And so this gives me a good chance to announce our, our new project, Jason. We're going to have a series of t-shirts with stickmen on it that say life is riveted. Oh, that's a good idea. Like that a is a good bit, idea. I was a, like, dude. A, a little rivet with like arms and legs. It says life is riveted. <laughs> that is a cool idea. I like it. Our, our, our life is good t-shirt rip us. <laughs> the only way it can be any cooler is if we can somehow like incorporate big dogs. Then we'll have every awesome 90s brand put into one thing there. We need some Chuck Taylor symbol on there too. That would be sweet. Oh, that would be sweet. I think that was kind of one of the cooler things is one of our board game meetups. Like we all took our shoes off. And there was like a pile of Chuck Taylors at the front door. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty sweet. <laughs> Chuck Taylors, the official 
board gaming shoes of board game boys and girls. Well, anyway, guys, um, thanks for putting up with us. Mike, I think you're the only one left. Just go ahead and lock <laughs> the place up when you're done. I'm out of here. Yeah, me too. See you guys later. Ourselves, episode of the podcast, probably. I was, I like this. I like when the episodes are ridiculous because I feel like that gives people something different to listen to. I like it. Oh, I agree too. I think it's just like we're don't we don't take things seriously at all. Like we're this stupid like sketch comedy show of podcasts <laughs> and board games. All right, so there's gonna be a lot of editing to do. <laughs> <laughs>